If you would this morning, turn to the book of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be reading verses 16 through 18. Everybody should have gotten a handout this morning. Um, if you didn't get one, we got a few right here. Y'all lift your hand up, we'll get somebody around here to you to get you one of these handouts. We got several that didn't get them. When they come by, just throw your hand up, make sure they see you. Amen. Man, Levi does a great job, and he's uh, he's got a heart for it, and he's uh, he's just a good, godly young man. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. This is what it reads. Moreover, when you fast, won't you notice the first thing there? He said, when you fast, not if you fast. As I've said so many weeks beforehand, this is a lost doctrine, but it is not a doctrine that is not biblical. It is, a, it is indeed a biblical doctrine that, that first century Christians and, and probably not long after that understood that this indeed was a practice that was just assumed it would be a regular practice in Christians' lives. But he said, moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad, with a sad countenance for they disfigure their faces that they may, what's them next three words? Appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not, what's them next three words? So that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but... To your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will, what's them next three words? Reward you openly. You may be seated this morning. Is Kirby Carpenter in here? Kirby, lead us in a word of prayer, please. You would take your little handout that I give you. I'm going to do a quick recap with this right here. And I hope this is something that will, uh, that will help you throughout your fasting journey. I pray that you're going to have a fasting journey. If you'll notice at the very first part of it, it says, what is fasting? And the number one 
Fasting is evidence. It's proof that we desire God and obedience to Him more than our fleshly pleasures. Now listen to me. A lot of teachers will disagree with me on this. A lot of teachers, that because they believe, and I believe it too, faith only salvation, I do believe that. But I also believe the Bible teaches that faith without works is what? Dead faith. I believe that, that God could have built the ark on his own, but he asked Noah to do it, didn't he? He could have saved Noah without Noah building the ark, but Noah building the ark was works of his faith that he indeed believed God. I believe that we, we could do many things uh, without having to do their works, and God could do them all by himself, but he sees fit for us to do the works to back up the faith that saves us. So I believe that fasting is evidence. I believe it's proof that we desire God and obedience to Him more than our fleshly pleasures. If you'll remember from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, God said that He humbled the people in the wilderness and He allowed them to hunger. He allowed them to hunger. And here's the key part. I got it in the parentheses in bold letters and underlines so you can't miss it. He allowed them to hunger to know what was in their heart, whether they would keep His commandments or not. Did God not know ahead of time? Absolutely. But God requires works to back up what your faith believes. Faith without works is dead faith. It's not enough for us to just say, God, I believe. No, we have to have a life of, of, of works that represents our faith in Jesus Christ. He goes on, or I go on in the next part, and I say Genesis 22, verse 12, Abraham was willing to give God his beloved son Isaac, but before Abraham killed Isaac, God stopped him and said, Don't lay a hand on the boy, for now I know that you honor me above all else. The point that I'm trying to make here is this. God wanted to see if there was anything in Abraham's life that he would not give to God. If there is anything in your life that you love more than God, the Bible says you cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You just can't. If you're not willing to even give up your children for God, for Jesus Christ, you cannot be his disciple. That is just cut and dry. So I believe that God chose to see if Abraham would give anything of his fleshly desire and pleasures up for him. And when Abraham went to sacrifice his son to God, God said, don't lay a hand on him. For now I know that you honor me above all other things. So I believe that fasting, when we abstain from fastly pleasures, it is a commitment of our faith, a work of our faith that proves and is evidence to God that we indeed love him more than anything else this world has to offer. Second thing, fasting is a spiritual training exercise that teaches our flesh to submit to the control of our inner man led by God. We discipline or teach our bodies to learn that it is not in control, but instead we rule over its desires. The Apostle Paul said he was in fastings often. In 2 Corinthians 6 verse 5 and 2 Corinthians 11 verse 27, you can read in both places, Paul said, I fasted often. It was a regular practice in Paul's life. He said in 1 Corinthians 9 27 that his training for the Christian race was done by disciplining his body and bringing it under his control, lest when he had preached to others, he himself should be disqualified. In other words, we must learn to overcome our fleshly desires and submit to the ways of Christ, and then we will be approved of God. One of the ways we accomplish this is by fasting. We 
train our bodies, we discipline our bodies, and we bring it under our control. How many of you need that in your life? Let's just get real with each other. You need fasting in your life. How to fast. Choose a time when you take away pleasures from your flesh to humble it and submit to God. Listen, fasting is not just not eating. Yes, not eating can be a fast. Abstaining from just meat and eating only vegetables is not necessarily fasting. Maybe you're a veggie lover. That's not abstaining from a pleasure of yours. I believe that Daniel told us in Daniel 10.3 that he ate no pleasant food. The reason he ate vegetables only is because he didn't like veggies. He loved the meat. He was abstaining from his fleshly pleasures. Genesis 3 verses 1 through 6 it was our fleshly desire for pleasures that led us away from God to begin with. Adam and Eve saw that the forbidden food was, and this is quoting from Scripture, good and pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to their flesh. When they saw this, they chose their fleshly desire over obedience to God. Fasting is one of God's tools to bring us back to obedience to Him. Isaiah 58.3, God was not accepting their fast because instead of taking pleasure away from the flesh and submitting to God, they were finding pleasure in their fast and being selfish by oppressing others instead of submitting to God and being merciful to others. If they would fast God's way, they would forsake pleasures of their flesh and submit to God by showing mercy to others. Some may fast by abstaining from meat, and some it may be all food in general. For others it may be abstaining from television or caffeine. The main thing is that you take away pleasure from your flesh. Maybe TV and food together. I have to do that one. I have to abstain from food and TV in my life uh, as, uh, what, to what I believe is a fast in my life. And I'm just being real with myself. That's the same thing you've got to do too. It would be easy for me to say, well, I'm just going to abstain from, from TV and eat all the food that I want. Listen, if you forsake one thing just to indulge your flesh in the other, you really have not done anything except set something to the side for you to indulge your flesh in the other. Fasting means I'm taking pleasure away from this body. I'm teaching it. I don't submit to you. You submit to me, and I submit to God. <clears throat> Excuse me. How long do I fast? Fast until the Spirit has been exercised to rule over the flesh. This should be a regular pra fasting practice, possibly once or twice per week. How many times a week do you do something you know you ain't got no business doing? How many times you flip the TV stand ch channel to a station that may not necessarily be bad in our eyes, but in the eyes of God, you know this ain't nothing you're supposed to be watching. How often do you sit there and put up with things that you know is not of God and you make a decision of the flesh to just look over it and act like it's no big deal? On a weekly basis, we do it very regular, right? then we need to exercise. We need to fast until the Spirit has been exercised to rule over the flesh. We need to exercise in fasting until we get to the TV station and it is a common thing for us to go, that ain't got no business on my TV. Click. We move it. We got to exercise this thing until we get to a point that we move everything out of our house that don't belong. That way when the preacher comes over, you ain't got to worry about hiding the stuff, hiding the movies you don't want him to see that's in the house. You, I mean, you've got to exercise your spirit to make good decisions on a daily basis. This comes through fasting. Remember, and under number one again, remember the Apostle Paul said he fasted 
often to bring his flesh under control of his spirit. Number two of how long do I fast? Remember, fasting is also an intensification of your prayers. It intenses your prayers. It says, just like our prayers can be hindered by broken relationships and all other manner of unrighteousness, and I took you through all that last week, our prayers can also be intensified by humbling ourselves and submitting to God. And I gave you plenty of scriptures to study for yourself to remind you and back this up. Fasting puts us in a place for God's ears to be open to our cry. Just like his ears can be closed to our cry, and believe me, they can. Listen to me, Christians. God's ears can be closed to your cries. His, clo his ears were closed to the cries of his people all throughout the Old Testament, and he said plainly throughout many scriptures, and I can give you many more, that his ears are closed when you're, when you're in certain places in your life. However, he also said that his ears are open and he will hear when you're in the place that he would have you to be in your life. So fasting puts us in that place for God's ears to be open to our cry. When fasting to intensify your prayers, here's how long you fast. You fast until God answers. Fast until God reveals his will in any given situation. I believe that Paul, when he besought the Lord three times that God would remove the thorn from his flesh, I believe that the reason he heard God speak so clearly, I believe he was fasting as he prayed for God to remove this thing from his flesh. And the Lord come back and said, it's not going to be removed, Paul. My strength is exalted in your weakness. It's for your own good. And I believe that's when Paul said, okay. No more. Didn't got to pray about it no more. Ain't got to fast about it no more. I'm, I'm done. God has answered. Fast until God answers or he reveals his will in any given situation. If you remember, King David fasted whenever um, God had struck his newborn son with an illness and was fixing to die. And King David fasted and he prayed and that God might change his mind and not take the child's life. And then he quit fasting and the prophets came to him and said, Why ain't you fasting anymore? He said, well, the child's gone. I fasted while I did not know what God's will would be. Who knows if he might relent from it. But now that I know his will, there's no need to fast anymore. So you fast until God answers or until he reveals his will in any given situation. Remember, Daniel fasted 21 days because that's how long it took for God to answer. The Bible said that from the first day that Daniel began to fast and pray, his words were heard. God's ears was open to his cry from the first day he fasted and prayed. But he saw fit for Daniel to wait 21 days. And Daniel kept fasting. He kept seeking God. 21 days later, who shows up? The angel. The angel shows up and said, Daniel, I'm here because of your words. That's why I'm here. In Ezra 8, 21 through 23, Ezra said they fasted until God answered their prayer. In Deuteronomy 9 and Deuteronomy 10, Moses fasted 40 days and 40 nights until the Bible actually says, God, listen to me. That's what Moses said. Moses said, I fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and God listed, listened to me. He heard his cry. There are many other examples of this throughout the Bible. Fast until your physical body is in danger of harm. I'm on number three. God didn't give us the tool of fasting to kill the body, but to kill its fleshly desires. Acts 27, 33 through 36, after a 14-day fast in a very intense storm in a boat, 
Paul told the other men of the boat to take nourishment for this is for your survival. Fast to subdue the fleshly desires, not to kill the body. When you see your health is truly in danger of harm, take food. I'm talking about example like a diabetic. I'm not talking about a headache or a hunger pain. Listen, if, you're, if your stomach starts growling because you ain't had no KFC today, keep fasting. You're going to be okay, I promise you. I'm not even a physician, but I can tell you, if it's a hunger pain, you're going to be all right. You've got to be honest with yourself and say, God, I know this is not something that's harmful, to, that, that is going to truly damage my body, so I'm going to keep pushing in this direction. And today... We're going to get into the rewards or the fruits of fasting. I'm going to try to go through them pretty quick. Matthew chapter 6, once one more time. He said, When you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their what? Reward. And then he goes on, he says, But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will what? Reward you openly. The thing I want to explain to you today is there indeed is a reward for fasting. Don't feel guilty that you might go into this thing looking for reward. God, I, I want to promise you right now, whenever David went down to fast and pray for his child, what was he seeking? The life of his child. Whenever, the, whenever the, the people of Israel prayed because the great multitude that they had no power against, that they had nothing that they could do, nowhere they could turn, but our eyes are on you. They went fasting and praying to God, seeking for protection. They were looking for the reward from God for their commitment to Him. God means to reward His people. He told us in Psalm 37 verse 4 to delight yourself in me and I will give you the desires of your heart. God said delight yourself in seeking me. Delight yourself in being obedient to me and lining your life up with my will and I want to give you the things that are rewards for you. Now, when you line yourself up with God's will, your rewards of your heart change. When you line yourself up with your will, his will becomes your will. And all of a sudden, you want the things that he wants. That's a whole other lesson. We'll get there another day. Here's the things I want to bring out right here. Two types of fasting. First fasting was for selfish motives. First fasting was to be seen of men, and that's something that every single one of us deal with, if we'll be honest. How many of you don't like the praise of man? If you, you don't want to get real with me this morning, get, go on, get out of here. Everybody we, is something in our flesh that desires the praise of men. And God's telling his children right here, you've got to be on guard for this. Don't be fasting for selfish motives. Fast to be seen of men. Uh, fast to be seen of me, not of men. Because if you fast to be seen of men, guess what? You've got your reward. <laughs> and there will be no other reward. You have your praise from men. The fleshly desire has been fed. Fasting to be seen of men is not true fasting. It is not um, evidence to God that you desire him more than the things of the world because what do you really desire? The praise of men, not God. 
It is not training your flesh to overrule. It is not training your spirit to overrule the flesh because what is it actually doing? It's feeding that flesh is what it's doing and just making it stronger. So do not fast for selfish motives. Do not fast to be seen of men. The second type of fasting, fasting for the hunger of God. Fasting to be seen of your Father. Fasting to your Father. This fasting is completely different than the fasting that's seen by men because in this fasting, your heart truly is hungering for God above all other things. It is evidence to God that you love Him and desire Him more than all of the things of the flesh. It is an exercise of your spirit man because whenever you are fasting to God, you are resisting the temptation of the praise of men and all the other things that people fast for. So when you fast to God, it is a true fast. And when you do that, he said, your father will reward you openly. There is reward. This is not a command for absolute secrecy in your fasting. Don't get that twisted. Listen, Daniel fasted contrary to what Jesus just taught. Daniel said, I ate no pleasant food. I did not anoint my head. I didn't put no lotions on my skin. Jesus said just opposite. He said, when you fast, anoint your head and put lotions on your skin. Does that mean Daniel's fast was wrong? No. What Jesus was trying to do is give them a pattern to follow so that it would guard their heart from being selfishly motivated to fast. It is not that he wants you to fast in absolute secrecy. If your brother finds out that you're fasting and it's a sin, then corporate fasting as a church is completely wrong and the New Testament church was out of line when they did it. I don't believe that's the case. I believe wholeheartedly that Jesus was not saying it's wrong for Nick to know that I'm fasting. What is wrong is when we try to disfigure our faces to make it look good and make it the praise of men to come to us for our fasting. That is what is wrong. And Jesus says, guard yourself from that. There will be times when it's nothing wrong with your neighbor knowing you're fasting. But don't walk in here, draw it up like a prune, walking around, oh, I've been fasting for a whole day. I hadn't got to see Bachelor in, in, in 24 hours. You're going to be okay. You may get some praise from some of the women in here. Oh, my goodness, he ain't seen Bachelor for 24 hours. Somebody get the defibrillator. You're going to be okay. Don't come in here like this. Fast for the Father's reward. It's not a command for absolute secrecy in your if someone knows you're fasting, it's okay. Just don't make a show of it for the praise of men. Guard your heart to make sure it's hungering for God. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 verse 6. How many knows what Hebrews 11 verse 6 says? I'll give you just a minute to speak up if you know. Very familiar scripture. Hebrews 11 verse 6. I'll give you another minute. Anybody know what it says? Without faith, it's impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and what else must they believe? He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In other words, God wants to reward you, but he rewards those who diligently seek after him. It's not those that come to him and, and just look for him for a little bit. He's, he rewards those that come after him with all their heart. In Jeremiah 29 verse 13, God said we, that we will find him when we seek him with all our heart. 
And I believe fasting is a tool that God has given us to seek Him with all our heart, to deny everything else and to focus on Him, to go after Him with all of our heart. And He said, what will happen then? You'll find me. And let me tell you something. When you find God, you have found the greatest reward that there is. I'll get into that just a little bit more. Whenever God reveals Himself to us, I want to show you a little bit more about that reward. I want to give you just a few warnings first. Don't fast as someone working for a reward. This is not a job description, okay? Fasting is not an application that you're filling out to receive wages whenever you complete the job. Don't fast as one receiving wages for a work. But instead, fast as one who just desires God with all of his heart that you want to delight yourself into all of his ways. You want to delight yourself in submitting to him and pleasing to him, and then he will reward you. You see the way that's twisted around here? Don't get it twisted so that you're just fasting for the reward. There's nothing wrong with expecting the reward. In Isaiah 58, they came to God and they said, God, why have we fasted and you've not heard? God didn't say anything was wrong with that. He just told them why they'd fasted and he had not heard. In other words, there's nothing wrong with expecting God to fulfill what he said he will do. He expects you to call him on his word. He expects to fulfill his promises. But we don't fast as one who's working for a reward. We fast as one who desires God and we delight ourselves in pleasing him. Remember, Psalm 37 verse 4 said, Delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. But it comes from you delighting yourself in Him, not a job description. Go with me, if you would, to Isaiah 58, and this is where I'm going to close at. I want to go over just a few rewards with you of fasting. Isaiah chapter 58. We'll just start reading in verse 1. We're going to go through verse... 12, but I'm going to take them a verse at a time and just show you a few things. Starting at verse 1 of Isaiah 58, this is what it reads. Cry aloud and spare not. This is what God is telling Isaiah to do to the people. To cry aloud and don't spare your voice. You let them know. Let, lift up your voice like a trumpet and tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. And here's what I want you to tell them. Yet they seek me daily, and they delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness. And they did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. He said, they come to me like a people who is all about me. But they're not all about me. He says in verse 3, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, here's the answer God gives them. In the day of your fast, you what? You find pleasure. You don't forsake pleasure. You don't deny yourself to seek after me, to pray to me, to humble yourself before me, to cry out to me. You don't, you don't desire me and my reward and the things that I have for you. In fact, in your fast, you find pleasure for yourself. He's talking just like the ones in the New Testament we just read about. The reason I'm not hearing your fast, the reason I'm not listening and seeing your fast 
You fasting to be seen by men? You're fasting for all the wrong selfish motives you ask and you ask amiss because you want to spend it on your own pleasures? I'm not hearing those kind of prayers. I'm not seeing those kind of fasts. He said, and not only that, but you exploit all your laborers. In other words, instead of showing mercy when you submit to God, you you act like him, you be merciful, you be kind. When you pass the drunk on the street, you buy him dinner. You don't look at him and say, oh, you can do better than what you're doing and spit on him and walk away. You show mercy. You know why? Because you're just the same person. You're capable of the same things. You are in the flesh just as well as they are. God said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I don't desire you to come in here and lift your hands and give me praise and, and then go out on the street and exploit those, oppress those. I expect you to be merciful. I expect you to be kind. I expect you to be long-suffering. That's what I expect from you. And then in verse 4, he said, Indeed, you fast for strife and debate. You strike with the fist of wickedness, and you will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Your voice, my ears will not be open to your fasting in this manner. It's not going to happen. But then he says in verse 5, God says fasting is outward. Not, God is not outward, it's inward. He says, it is, a, is it a fast that I have chosen a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? They were doing all this. They were bowing down. They were spreading out sackcloth and ashes and humbling themselves. But it was only outward. Inwardly, it was not fasting. God said, I want you to rend your heart, not your garments. I don't care if you rip your shirt open in, in, in uh, humbleness, in, in repenting of sin. I care for you to rip your heart open for what you've done. I care for you to rip your heart open for me, for my desire. He says, would you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? But then look at verse 6. God says, this is the fast that I have chosen. He said, is this not the fast that I have chosen? And here's what I want this fast to do in your life and others' lives. First thing, I want it to loose the bonds of wickedness. I want your fleshly desires and the things that keep you down. I want fasting to take the drunkenness away. I want fasting to take the sinful desires away. I want fasting to loose all the bonds of wickedness that keep you from being everything that I mean for you to be. How often do we forsake such a great tool that God has given us to be everything he wants us to be? He said, the fasting I've chose, I chose to undo heavy burdens. He said, this kind of fasting undoes heavy burdens in your life and in the life of others. When you fast like I'm fat, when you fast like I want you to fast, it'll undo burdens in your life. And if you submit to me and show mercy, grace, and kindness, it'll undo burdens in others' life through your fast. And then he goes on to say a little bit more about this when he says this fast is to let the oppressed go free. This, is, this kind of fast is a fast that when you're submitting to me, the hungry gets fed and they're not hungry anymore. They're not oppressed anymore. They're free. The, the naked get clothed and they're not cold anymore because they're not naked, they've got clothes on. The sick get visited because they're not, they're not oppressed and down because I'm not getting visited in, by, by anybody. But instead the oppressed have just been set free because you denied yourself and you chose to go and submit to God by visiting the sick in your fasting. And when you've done that, he said, the oppressed go free. 
And then the last thing, he said, the fasting that I choose, it breaks every yoke. You know what a yoke is, don't you? Yoke is that thing that got put around the oxen's neck, and it usually had two cords tied to it. And basically, that yoke kept that oxen following a particular path that whoever was guiding that yoke meant for him to go. He says, I want you to break yokes in your life. The only one that tells you where to go is me. I tell you where to go. I tell you what to do. But then look at verse 7. What does this obedience to God look like? Here's what it looks like. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? He says, I want you to be compassionate. When you deny your fleshly pleasures and you submit to me, I want you to have a heart of compassion. I know you ain't lived the life that you always should have lived, Mark Curley, but you know what? I'm going to show you compassion. I'm going to show you compassion in, in prison. Even though you deserve to be in prison, you've done it. But I'm going to show you compassion because I know that I'm in the flesh and I've made mistakes too. I deny myself and I submit to God. And he says, not hide yourself from your own flesh. In other words, don't act like you don't see what's in front of you. When the hungry's there, you don't just pass by and act like, well, I didn't see that. How many times have I done that? Oh, my goodness. When the naked's sitting there, you don't just walk by and act like you don't have an extra coat in your closet. How many of you got ten extra coats in your closet right now? You don't act like you ain't got extra to give. But instead, you don't hide yourself from your own flesh. That's what this obedience to God looks like in fasting. But then, go with me into, let's see, I think it's verse 8. Yes, here we go. The rewards of fasting. This is good. When you fast God's way, here's what God promises that your rewards will be. This is great. In verse 8a, the, I say 8a because it's the, just the very first part. He says, then... In other words, then means when you fast the way that I have chosen for you to fast. When you deny yourself and submit to obedience to me and show mercy and grace and kindness, then look what happens. Your light, ooh, I like that. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. And look at verse 10, the second part of verse 10, because he repeats himself down here. At the end of verse 10, he says, Then your light shall, be, shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. You know what I see that right there? When we fast the way that God tells us to fast, the darkness in our life becomes light. But it don't just become light. It says that it breaks forth like the morning. Ronnie, how many sunrises have you seen? What does it look like when out of darkness that light starts coming out and little by little it gets brighter and brighter and it's burning that ocean up, ain't it? The darkness in your life breaks forth like the morning. In other words, the things that are in your life that make it gloomy. How many of you got gloomy things in your life right now? You look around and go, Lord, can't we change this? Can't we do something about this? Yeah, we sure can. We sure can. Why don't you try fasting? How's your darkness level in your life? You want your light to break forth like the morning? Guess what? It'll come like the noonday if you fast the way that God fasted. Somebody look at me this morning and say, Oh, this preacher done lost his mind. This is the word of God. You think I can make this stuff up? 
He promised you that your light shall break forth like the morning. Darkness becomes like the fullness of the sun at noonday. Darkness in our lives just begins to fade away. When you begin to fast, the light starts coming up out of the, out of the darkness. And just little by little, the darkness just starts going away. And everything in your life just starts becoming light. That's a great promise, ain't it? You can believe it if you want to. I believe it. Look what he says next in verse 8b. Hallelujah. In verse 8b. I like that, brother. In verse 8b. The second line in verse 8. Look what he says. This is the second promise. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. And then look at verse 11. The third line down in verse 11. And strengthen your bones. I want you to think about what the second promise that God has just said in fasting. He said in fasting it's going to be physical strength and health to your body. I wonder how many sicknesses, I wonder how many physical weaknesses, how many aches and pains are in our midst because we don't fast. I wonder how many migraines could go away because we don't fast. I wonder how many of these ailments and aches in our shoulders and our knees and all the things we struggle with, I wonder how many of these things would just go away when we start fasting because God has promised that when you fast the way that I have chosen, your light's going to break forth like the morning and your healing is going to spring forth speedily and you're going to have strength in your bones. I just wonder how many of our aches would go away if we would just practice denying ourselves and submit to God by pouring ourselves out into the lives of others. Next thing, verse 8, the C, the third line. And your righteousness shall go before you. This is one of my favorites right here. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And then look at verse 9. First two, or first two lines of verse 9. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. I want you to think about this promise right here. He said, your righteousness shall go before you. In other words, who is your righteousness? Jesus Christ, God Almighty is your righteousness. So God says, I'm going to go in front of you, vindicating you. When the accuser comes to you like he did Job and tries to accuse you of something, I'm going to be in front of you saying, get out of here. I ain't hearing that. I'm his righteousness. You can't accuse him of that. Whenever, whenever things are trying to sneak up behind you, the Bible says that the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. His glory is going to be behind you. And then he says, and not only that, but whenever you call, whenever you cry, I'm going to step up and say, here I am. Now I want you to think about this for just a minute because basically what this promise is is this. I'm going to be present. My presence is going to be evident in every area of your life. In other words, no matter where you are, I'm going to be in front of you. No matter where you are, you're going to know I'm behind you. And no matter when you call or where you call, I'm always going to be there. The God of all creation, the one who commands lightning and lightning steps up and they line up and they say, here we are, God. 
The God that commands all things says, whenever you call to me, you won't have to say, where are you, God? But when you call, wherever you call, I will say, here I am, Nick King. I'm right here. You say, God, here. I didn't know you was right there beside of me, God. Can you imagine that type of sensitivity to the voice of God? This is the reason why the early church, when God told them to do something, they knew exactly what he said. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. He actually gave them names. The Holy Spirit comes in and says, Wells Baptist, I want Ricky Lee and I want Chad Townsend and here's what I want them to do. Wouldn't that be something? God's presence is evident in every aspect of our life. Moving on a little quicker, verse 11a. Look what he says next. The Lord will guide you continually <laughs> and satisfy your, droll, your, your soul in drought. The Lord will guide you continually. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you didn't know which way to turn? You didn't know what to do? The only thing you could do is say, God, what do I do? I don't even know where to go. Kind of like the Jehoshaphat whenever he called for the fast over all the kingdom. He said, God, we have no power against this great multitude, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are on you. He says that those situations... They won't even be in your life. He said the Lord will guide you continually. In other words, when something comes into your life, you will know exactly where to go. You will know exactly what to do. You will know whether to speak or to shut up. How many times have you needed to know that? Amen. Amen. You will know God will guide you continually. Try denying your fleshly pleasures and pouring yourself into the lives of others with kindness, mercy, compassion, and grace. And if you'll do that, he'll do these. If you'll look with me at uh, the next part of verse 11, 11b. And he will satisfy your soul in drought. The word satisfy means to be sufficient or adequate to fulfill the longing. Nothing ever satisfies us in this world. You know that. You got that new car. How many of you loved it? I'm talking about that thing was new and you couldn't wait to get in it and drive down the road or, 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 or when you bought your first house or got your first apartment. How long did it take you before you were sick of that thing? Don't take long, does it? Nothing satisfies you in this world. Nothing. But he says that I will satisfy you in drought. In other words... I will satisfy you when nothing else is there to satisfy you. You will be fulfilled. You will be, all your longing will be fulfilled because you are in me. And then if you look at verse 11, the last part, he says, you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. As you submit to God and you pour yourself out to others, you become full. When you pour yourself out, he fills you up. Did you catch that? He said you will be like a well-watered garden. What does a garden do for people? Feeds people, don't it? And as that garden feeds people, God says, I just pour right back into you, and you just keep producing. You're like a well-watered garden. You're like a spring whose waters, they never fail. You're just always producing. He said you will be blessed and highly favored is what I get out of this promise right here. As you pour yourself out to others in fasting and submitting to me, I pour myself into you. And then in verse 12, 
He says, those from among you shall build the old waste places. Oh, this is a good promise too. You shall raise up the foundations of earlier generations or many generations is what the New King James Version says. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. How far away is our country today from where it was when it was first founded on standing on God? He said that when you do this, you're going to build up the old waste places. The places that have gone down, you're going to become a kingdom builder for me. You will rebuild the things that have been broken down by sin. You will restore up the foundations that have crumbled with each passing generation. This is a promise that comes from God when we fast. And then verse 13 and 14, and I'm coming to a close. He says, if you turn away your foot from my Sabbath. Now, first thing I want you to know is this. When he says Sabbath, he's not necessarily talking about Saturday or the seventh day. A Sabbath day was a holy day that was set apart for God. There were many Sabbaths in the Old Testament. Fasting, God said, I consider it a holy day for me. It's a day that you have set apart and you've denied everything else for full obedience to me. He said, so if you'll quit stepping on my holy day, if you'll quit treading it under your foot, if you'll quit treating it like some thing that's for selfish motives and you'll start doing it the way that I have chosen for you to fast, if you will quit treading it under your foot, and then he says, if you will quit doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath or call the, the fat day of fasting a delight, that you delight in serving God, if you will call the holy day of the Lord honorable and shall honor Him, how? Not doing your own ways, nor finding your own what? Pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And what did Psalms 37, 4 say? Delight yourself in the, word, in the Lord and what? He will give you the desires of your heart. He says, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord when you're not doing your own ways, when you're not doing your own pleasure, when you're not speaking your own words, but you're submitting fully to God, denying yourself, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And look what he says. He sums all his promises up by saying this. I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. And then what is that last verse? Because this is the most important part of everything else you've read. What does that last part say? What does that mean, Nick? That means God said it. He meant it. It will be done. I promise you, when you follow my pattern of fasting, you do it to be seen by me. You deny yourself. You submit wholly to me and you pour yourselves out to others. I promise you, I will do these things for you. The mouth of the Lord has spoken and that's the end of it. I close by saying this. Do you need some darkness to begin turning to light in your life? Do you want physical strength and health for your body? Do you want God's presence to be evident in your life in every way? Do you want to be guided continually? Do you want to be satisfied in drought? Do you want to be blessed and highly favored like a well-watered garden that every time you pour out and feed somebody, he just pours right back into you? Then I say this. Make 
fasting a regular practice in your life. I'm fixing to ask you to do something that not everybody's going to want to do, and that's fine. If you don't want to do it, I don't want you to do it. But if you'll notice on the bottom of that page, I ask you for a request. I would like to ask all that will to join me every Wednesday in fasting from sun up to sundown all day Wednesday. The fasting can be of your individual fleshly pleasure, whatever you choose. Just be honest with yourself. Deny your fleshly pleasure, not doing your own ways, not doing your own things, but submitting to God. I know you still got to go to work. That's fine. Carry out your normal daily routine. But why don't you find somebody that needs dinner bought that day at work? Why don't you find somebody that just needs somebody to talk to? Why don't you find somebody that just needs somebody to just say a little prayer for them? Why don't you pour yourself out into somebody else on Wednesdays? Why don't you make it a habit to start doing this? We need to do it on a daily basis, all right? But let's just start by at least making it a practice of an all-day thing on Wednesday. Deny your flesh. Submit wholly unto God every Wednesday. I would like to do this as our regular practice, but primarily we will do it as a church until the debt is removed. Now listen, the reason I want to do it until the debt is removed, it'll probably be a regular practice in my life from now on. I'm going to try my best to keep this up, even after the debt's removed. But I want to do it as a church, corporately, until the debt is removed. And then, while we're doing this, I want to do it until the debt is removed because I want to pray that the debt would be removed earlier than our goal. You know why I want that? Not so we receive any glory. I want that because I know God has blessed us with great resources in this church, and I'm, I praise Him for that. I really do. But you know what I want more than that? I want to be able to get to this thing and look and say there was no way possible that that could have got done except God did it. Because when we get to the end of this thing, I want to be able to look back and say, this was God's purpose, this was God's plan, there's no way around it. I want God to receive all the glory. So pray and fast with me that the debt would be removed earlier than our goal so that God will receive all the glory. Pray for this too. Pray for specific direction. Specific. Say, God, I want you to give us specific direction in our missions to make you known unto all the world. How are we going to do that, God? One step, I believe he's already guiding us through the FCA. We're going to help support that, I believe. So I, I believe that's one specific he's given us. But I want specifics. I want God's plan. I don't want my plans. i got all kinds of plans, Nick. Habitats for humanities, uh, teenage houses for teenage. i, I got all kinds of plans, big things, Mike, huge. Oh, I want to do them so bad. But you know what? It may not be God's plan. God, we want your specific direction. And then you'll provide the resource for us to do it. And then the last thing, pray the Colossian prayer for our brothers and sisters at Wales. You can find that prayer in Colossians chapter 1. Um, I think it starts in verse, I think I wrote it on the thing. It starts in verse 9. Read that prayer, pray it for your church. And listen, pray a lot. Even if you repeat the same prayer over and over on Wednesday. Listen, repetition in prayer is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Persistence in prayer pays off. I promise you, God wants us to do that. You don't have to be able to say a fancy prayer every Wednesday. Just pray the Colossian prayer, even if you just read it as you pray. And then, pour, find ways to pour yourself out into others, giving to the poor, clothing the naked, visiting the sick. There's plenty of sick need to be visited in this very church. This very church. Find some way to pour yourself into the life of others on Wednesdays. And sit back and watch what God is going to do in our lives as we do it. Y'all stand. Surely if you would come.
The altar is open this morning right now. We're not even waiting on a song to play. If there is something that you need to come and bow yourself down before the Lord and ask of Him or, or just pour your heart out to Him, I invite you to do that without even having to worry about any music starting. But whatever you need this morning, I want you to just give yourself wholly to Him. Go ahead, Ralph.